Hour number two of Canuck Central is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. I did not expect to mention in passing that I use self-checkout at a grocery store. Yeah. And then be uh, bombarded with texts that I am a terrible human being. Woo. Uh, Jimmy from North Van, shame on you for self-checkout. That's shame. taking jobs away for, for corporate greed. Always use human checkout. Jimmy from North Van. Jimmy, throwing me the shame bell. Yes. Unbelievable. You should be shamed. I, uh... Ashamed. I don't always use self-checkout, but I will say... But when you do, you're in a rush. But when I do, I'm in a rush. Do you guys have a limit? Like, I have a limit. If I, you know, fill up, like, the shopping cart halfway... Yeah. I'm going to go to a till there. Yeah, Do you guys like, have a limit for self-checkout? Or do you bring like the whole card in there? No, no, you can't be a jerk. Yeah. I mean, that, that's being rude. I will say this, though. I mean, self-checkout has at least one attendant. Yep. So it's not one. like self-checkouts are unattended. Yeah. There's always somebody there like helping you out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Honestly, uh, if, if you're going to self-checkout with like a full cart, it should be one of those things. Like if you're over 15 items, probably shouldn't be using... Self-checkout. Okay, so what do you? How, how are you guys when it comes to express items? Like, is fifteen a guideline or is it a hard number? Is it a speed <laughs> limit or is it like do, do you, is it like give or take two or three? Like, would you go to seventeen, eighteen, or is like, or you're like hard at fifteen? Um, if I was working the cash, I'd be hard on the fifteen. <laughs> yeah, you like you start and you go through like, yep, yeah, we're at we're at fifteen yeah. now. You can't pay for this. <laughs> go put it back. I have too much anxiety where, like, if I had 16, I wouldn't push it. Like, <laughs> I don't want to deal with, like, the repercussions of them being like, sir, you're going to need to head over to aisle seven or yeah. something. Like, I couldn't deal with that. Have you ever been in line and, like, called somebody on that? No, I haven't. I, I don't, like, I'm... let's say the person in front of you clearly has 20-plus items. Are you calling them on that? Are you being like, hey, <laughs> please, yes. bud? Read the sign. Okay. Yes. No. Express check. I, I don't really feel like, unless I have to, I'd rather not have conflicts with people in public. It's just, you know, I don't, I don't need extra stress in my day. Um, Still getting ripped. Oh, yeah. Riveting stuff here, guys. Don't worry. Frank Valley is going to be on the line in just a matter of moments. <laughs> uh, good for you use, using self-checkout and supporting the software developers, making life easier for you. Yeah. Wow. Dude, I'm guessing that texter isn't using an iPhone to uh, send that text in. <laughs> uh, Frank Saravalli now joins us. So I mentioned in passing, Frank, that uh, I, I use self-checkout on the weekend to complete a uh, grocery store run during the first intermission of Leafs Lightning, and I'm getting ripped for it. Apparently, it's, it's taboo to use self-checkout because, um, you know, you're taking away jobs from people. This is crazy. I, ne- I never do this. I think it's taboo. I, I think it's taboo because every person that I've ever talked to that uses it has admitted to somehow forgetting to ring something up on their way out. <laughs> and they're shoplifters. I think that says a lot about you, Dan. So you think I'm a shoplifter because I use self-checkout? Oof. I, I just I would like to count next time. Like, I, like if you're going to self-checkout every time you go to the store – are you going to come away at the end of the year with a 100% accuracy? Are you sure of that? Uh, probably not 100% accuracy, no. See? Yeah. That's, yeah, you know. That's, I'm, I'm uh, willing to admit that. That's no good. 
some you know maybe the the bananas were organic and I rung in the non-organic. See, see, this is this oh, is the type of shrink that I'm talking about. <laughs> this is the industry term shrink. Where did this come from? Uh, well, it's just easier. Sometimes you just go, you push the button, and it's like bananas, and you forget it's organic. You know. You know what? It's an if extra thirty right cents. Was easy. People would do it every time. <laughs> All right. Uh, so uh, people are mad about self-checkouts. Uh, Frank Saravalli, Daily Faceoff, uh, the DFO Rundown. You guys had a chat with um, Canucks president Jim Rutherford today. What was your takeaway from uh, getting to sit down with Jim? Not a shock, but they've got a lot of work to do. And I think they're knee-deep in the process of sorting that out. Uh, Jim Rutherford in Vancouver when we spoke to him. Um They've got their pro and amateur scouting meetings, I believe he said, going on at the moment. And, you know, we've known this for a while, and they mentioned it, you know, going back to when Jim Rutherford first started, right off the hop was the idea of creating salary cap flexibility. He reiterated a couple times how critical it's going to be for this team to move contracts and Really, the fate of their offseason hinges on that ability to do so. So if they can't move as much, they're certainly not going to be as active. Well, and and that's kind of the interesting thing. And I think with Rutherford, one of the things that he's been made, made very clear is as much as, yes, we want to clear cap space, we're also not in a position where we want to tear this team apart. So when we look at the patience they exercise throughout this season – and when you look at the flexibility they still have with the fact that a lot of their guys don't hit UFA until next year and beyond, that they might take a more slow roll if they have to? They might, but I think they're going to try and turn up you know, the intensity here and, and mm-hmm. make it a little bit, you know, try and speed that up as, as much as possible. And if that means needing to get aggressive with how, you know, how you are moving contracts and and really it's not even how you're moving them. It's the price you're willing to pay to move them, I think is the key. And there's teams out there. Like, so we had Jim Rutherford on today on the DFO rundown and we had um, Bill Armstrong from the Arizona Coyotes on Friday. And I know Canucks fans are probably a little bit leery of any sort of trade with the Coyotes involving dumping contracts given the price that was paid to, you know, to make those transactions last summer. But that's one team that's a great example. Like Bill Armstrong has said, not only have I, um, you know, compiled a list internally of teams that I think are trying to, you know, problematic contracts and, and target those, he's actually actively calling teams, he said, saying, hey, like, looks like this guy isn't really a fit with you if you want. I'll take him off your hands. And it's funny because it sounds so friendly, but really it's, hey, I'm offering you uh, a life vest that's uh, really a weighted anvil here. And so um, that's what Arizona's trying to do. You know, there's a a couple other teams, I think, around the league that would entertain the idea of it. Um, I would probably say with the cap space that they have that Anaheim would be in the mix, maybe Columbus. Um, Seattle for sure that are all kind of you know in that that world where they're trying to get better and trying to recoup as many assets as possible those might be some places 
unless there's some stylistic fit, you know, someone's, you know, coming out of the woodwork to say like, Hey, you know, we really, really need Jason Dickinson on our team. As an example, those are the types of, you know, teams that the Canucks are going to have to be engaging with. You know, the, when, when we hear cap space and we start to go through uh, the Canucks cap friendly page and say, okay, who, who could they move off the books? Often, you know, it comes down to Oliver Ekman Larson and, and Tyler Myers as the two big ones, the two bigger contracts that could really open up some, some space for the Vancouver Canucks. Is it realistic that either of those players gets moved? Probably not so much on Ekman Larson for the term. I could see teams being interested in Tyler Myers. Mm-hmm. Um, you might not be getting a lot in return, but I could see a team saying, you know what, if you shave a million bucks off mm-hmm. at $5 million for just two more seasons, um, I could see that happening for sure. But then the Canucks are sitting there looking at themselves going, okay, so we got some flexibility with Myers you know, we already need help on the right side of our defense. Mm-hmm. What, how do we make this better? How do yeah. we improve our team? Are we now weakening our team at the same time? You know, it's, it's an argument back and forth, a push and pull, you know, flexibility to get better, got to give to get yeah. all those things. And then you're saying, well, yes, we're getting flexibility, but what are we doing with that money? And then the other part is, what does it all look like when it comes out in the wash? Well, and, and, and I think a lot of this kind of comes down to getting your ducks in a row. And I've been uh, with the understanding for a while here that Myers specifically is going to come down to they're willing to trade him. And I think you're right. You can trade him and maybe not take back as much money as people think to get that money off your books. But the first thing they want to think of is, if we move him, who do we replace him with? Who's eating up those minutes? And maybe not even short term, but who's doing it in two years? We want to be even better. So... Can you work at a deal where you get a right-hand defenseman who's a year away or can play now? Maybe that makes it easier for for you. Maybe there's a target elsewhere. So even for a guy like Myers, I think you're bang on. It comes down to do they have an option they like better that they want to explore? Otherwise, Myers' value probably increases when he's a UFA after next season on the final year of his contract. Then you might even get something for him and maybe not even have to eat too much money. Yeah, I totally agree, Sad. And when you're looking at it, um, you can't go and and trade Myers and create the flexibility and then sit there and say, now what? It yeah. needs to be done in conjunction, in in successive order and, and quickly. This is who we're targeting. This is who we're trading someone like Myers to. And this is what we're going to do with that space. There can't be this guessing game that happens after where you sort of sit back and fold your hands and say, oh, good, we have cap space now. That can't that can't happen. So that's the other part of it. And and so I think it's probably easier to nibble around the edges a little bit, especially with, you know, really how much the right side has struggled in that in the sense of having some real pillars there that can eat minutes. You know, I I think you gotta go towards like um towards the path of, of guys like Jason Dickinson. Um I personally, you know, wouldn't um you know, I wouldn't be exploring a Connor Garland deal because I, I just think, look at the way that that season ended up. Um, he still was setting some new targets, you know, in terms of you know, getting, knocking right on that 20 goal, um, you know, window at 19. 
But also more than that, it wasn't even statistically like you heard his end of season comments and how frustrated he was with himself, how much pressure he put on himself to, you know, being in a new place to fit in. I just think you get one more year, you get a summer where he's not in, in the rumor mill, not in conversation that, you know, this is a guy that's, he's had to scrap to get to every, you know, everything in his career. Nothing's been handed to him. You need to build him up, not, not break him down. And so I think that's one of the big sort of off ice goals, off ice missions for the Canucks this season is to rehab Connor Garland's confidence. Um, You know, and then you can talk about the rest of the moves and the cap picture and how they all fit together. The other really interesting part of what, um, what Jim Rutherford said, and I had asked specifically about this was, what do you do with Brock Besser? Is there any chance that you just do the one year qualifying offer? He accepts it and you're locked in for a year at seven, five, and he's still an RFA on the back end of it. I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, we saw the, the blue jackets do that this year with Patrick line. They're going to talk, I think all sorts of different, and it sounded like this week um, with Ben Hankinson, Brock Besser's agent. But, but if they can't find common ground, like I, I mentioned this before at the, at the trade deadline, if you're talking about creating cap flexibility and you're not finding a solution that you're really truly comfortable with, you know, you shouldn't be pushed to the edge, you know, trying to make this work. This should be something that fits for your group. And if not, moving his six to seven and a half million off again still the same question with tyler myers is your team better but at least you're not putting a gun to your head and saying well we're gonna you know we're gonna put our cap in a spot that we're not comfortable with just to get it done frank saravalli our guest daily face off uh, had an interview with jim rutherford canucks president today you can check it out on all of your favorite podcatchers the DFO Rundown podcast. You know, one when you talked about Miller, and it's been the uh, the never ending uh, conversation around JT Miller. But you know, he did say uh, towards the end of his answer about the negotiations, we'll have an idea by the time we get to the draft. Feels like this year's draft. I know it's become a you know the better trade deadline of sorts, Frank, in recent years. But way better. The Canucks uh, feel like a team that could be a big player at this year's draft. Yeah, I don't think there's any question because I, I would think that, you know, reading between the lines of what Jim Rutherford was saying, all of this jockeying that's going to take place cap-wise, and I wouldn't be shocked if it was sooner rather than later, the idea is to have all of that in place really, you know, I'd say a week or two in advance of the draft, excuse me, so that you know really what you're able to do and get yourself into. Well, yeah, and when I look at JT, too, and I look at the type of money that he might be demanding, and we've talked about this before as well, but I really, really wonder, what is that magic number for JT? Is he a guy that's going to look at it and say, okay, um, I, I'll take a high AAV for a few years and then you know, and maybe give it a go somewhere else in three or four years? Or is, does it really come down to that total money? And, like, and that's what I wonder, because I keep hearing, like, well, maybe Vancouver goes higher AAV for three to four years, but... I don't get how JT, even for a three-year deal at $10 million per year, would take a $30 million contract with total money, for instance. So like, what is that number that has to make JT think? Is it $50 million? Is it higher? Yeah, I don't know the answer, but I would say my answer would be really similar to yours in that why would he take three years if you're just we're just purely talking hypotheticals? 
why would he take three years at ten million when you're going to have some team out there somewhere that's offering, you know, six years times nine or whatever the number ends up yeah. being, right? As a pure hypothetical, someone will be willing to offer that. The number could even be higher than that. It might have more term. So, you know, the question is it really comes down to not, it's not even total dollars before you even get to that point. We've talked about this going back to November. Does JT Miller want to be a Canuck? First and and most important question, because the dollars ultimately I think are going to work themselves out. They're going to be relatively similar anywhere. I would imagine because he's not taking a below market deal. He's not taking a discount to stay. I, I, I just don't have the sense that that's a possibility. Frank Saravalli, our guest. So um, moving away from the Canucks, kind of big news today. Pete DeBoer um, gets let go by the Kinda. Vegas Golden Knights. Um, what 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 happened here, and uh, how do you feel about the connections with Barry Trotz being made already? Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> it feels like it was a long time coming. Like, yeah. I don't know why, even though this is only day 15 of the playoffs, it feels like it started a month ago. Um, and maybe that's just because the action was crazy at the end and so many things happening. But today was your classic news, you know, news dump. Yeah. News, no, uh, no games. Get your business done, fellas. A hundred percent. No, I'm telling you that is a factual thing. The league does not like their, their playoff series being overshadowed by news. So there, it's not a coincidence that it's all coming out and happening today. Um, but with Pete DeBoer... You know, once the decision was made and publicly stated by Bill Foley that Kelly McCrimmon, their co- their GM, was coming back, there was next to zero chance that, that Pete DeBoer was returning as well. A lot of friction between coach and GM. Uh, very pointed comments at times from Pete DeBoer. You know, you could see going back to, you know, their, their stretch to try and get into the playoffs. The back and forth, you know, Logan Thompson, Robin Leonard, um, you know, pulling Robin Leonard. It was clear to me then that the GM wanted Leonard to start. The coach mm. wanted Thompson to start. First goal out after the period doesn't, you know, one nothing game. And, and so that was sort of indicative of what was happening. But I think the real cautionary tale here is not in firing Pete DeBoer, but when you're looking at the Vegas Golden Knights, the message for every other team is be careful because you see Gerard Gallant with the New York Rangers now in the second round. You see the bump that they got this season. You see the bump that Vegas had in their expansion year with Gallant behind the bench. And you say, okay, there's clearly a correlation between these things. I don't know how to exactly you know, chart out the connection between coach and team success really in any pro sport. But in this case, probably pretty undeniable. Gerard Gallant, good coach. And now the Vegas Golden Knights are tasked with going out and finding the next Gerard Gallant when they had him. And the Edmonton Oilers this weekend, you know, watching them in the playoffs. I think Jay Woodcroft has done a fine job. Watching the Kings get to game seven was a reminder that Hey, Todd McClellan, pretty good coach. I think he outcoached Jay Woodcroft in this series with an undermanned Kings team without Drew Doughty. So teams sometimes make these snap rash decisions that end up coming back to bite them. 
which is why I think a lot of Canucks fans were probably pretty relieved with the Boudreaux news on Friday. Yeah. Um, because you have a good thing going. Don't, you know, what is it? Don't bleep with happy. Like, yeah. you know, this, this worked. Like, you don't need to reinvent the wheel here. No, and I mean, and as far as who ends up there, is it going to be Barry Trotz? Like, does he want to coach next season? And if he does, will it be in Vegas? I think he wants to coach next season is my understanding. I think he's going to have his pick of, of teams. I'm sure there may have been a couple teams that have already reached out very quietly that have a coach employed to say, hey, would you potentially be interested? So he's got, you know, a number of, teams that have vacancies and a few that don't that are probably interested. I still think the best fit is the the Jets, not just the Manitoba connection, but also, you know, that team I think could do a lot better than they did this season. And with the right structure and support and some changes is an easy bounce back team for the playoffs. You could say the same about the Golden Knights. I just think there's so much chaos and drama there. And I think it all emanates from their general manager that it's going to be really difficult to, you know, to really find that structure and the support that you need. Barry Trotz brings part of it. He's a no-nonsense guy. Um, he, he's also, you know, not dumb and, and understands the, the scenario and, and has heard the whispers about what it's like in Vegas. Everyone has. And so I would say there's probably some other guys on the list um, that might make more sense even though that may mean that Vegas tries. Um, how deep do the t- changes go in Toronto? I don't think very deep. I mean, I I think it would be a huge mistake to take that team and to, to blow it up, whether it's your manager, or your coach, your core roster players. Look, there's always decisions to be made. You know, what do you do with Kerfoot? The bigger question, how do you handle your goaltending? Jack Campbell pending UFA. Can you get him maybe at a cheaper number now than you, you know, than you previously thought based on the swoon that he had in his season? He was, you know, quite serviceable. I think fine in the playoffs. You could make the argument at times he outplayed Andre Vasilevsky, not in game seven, but for the first six, for sure. Um, I just think that team emptied the tank. I think they, their process is sound. They've got a strong group, even though it's not necessarily built in the way that I would build a team or a lot of others in that a lot of teams build from the back out and not the front down. And, you know, they've got really talented players that also showed up this year in the playoffs. I just think they lost to a team that, was slightly better, the two-time defending champs that didn't blink. And, you know, we're in a spot where they took them right to the dying minutes of Game 7. Like, I get the history. I get, in fact, the, you know, why people are freaking out given the lack of success. But at some point, you're going to break through. Ask the Caps, ask the Blues, ask a number of teams that have had really good teams for a long time with nothing to show for it. And don't give me the, well, the Caps got to the second round and the Blues got to the, who cares? The second round is still a long way from a Stanley yeah. Cup. So to think that you'd get through the lightning this year and all of a sudden, you know, everything would be magical and it feels like you won the Cup, like, dream on. 
<laughs> yeah. No, I hear you on that. Now, before I let you go, I do have to ask you about the Pittsburgh Penguins and what their offseason may look like now that they're out of the postseason. And I've seen some reports, uh, you know, out of Pittsburgh about what they may do with Latang and Malkin, that maybe they've made three-year offers to them. I saw uh, Rob Rossi mention that uh, Crosby isn't happy with those guys potentially being lowballed. And, you know, and listen, I'm so far away from it, but what do you make of what's happening in Pittsburgh? And, um, could they could they be in a tough situation here with Latang and Malkin and those guys not coming back? They could be. I mean, it depends on how you view it. Like, is this just time? Like, you've you're the first trio in NHL history to be together for 17 consecutive seasons: Crosby, Malkin, and Latang. You've won three Stanley Cups. Um, you've accomplished just about everything that you could in the sport. These things, like, at some point they end, just like the Leafs' first-round streak will end, just like the Lightning's ability to win 18 straight comeback games will end. Like, all these things will end at some point, just a matter of when. And you could say, well, yeah, the Penguins may be in trouble, but you could say this is the beginning of turning it over and creating the next group. It all depends on how you look at it. Are you trying to hang on for every last drop? Or are you are you satisfied saying, you know, now's the time to do it. Let's rip the Band-Aid off. And instead of giving out contracts that may set us back further, you know, three years from now or four years from now, let's just, let's, let's you know, till some new ground here and let's move forward. Our, uh, our producer, Chris Faber, has a uh, new intro song for the next time you come on next week. What's that? I think they're going to try and turn up. Turn down for what? <laughs> wow. Well, Frank Sarah Valley remix right there. I, I, I thought this was going to be some kind of connection to Dan being a shopper. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping otherwise. So I, I, th- I thank Faber for that. Uh, That's pretty impressive, Faber. I, I like what you're doing on a Monday. Uh, appreciate you uh, for everything except calling me a shoplifter. Uh, we'll talk next week. Hey, you said it, not me. You said <laughs> not 100%. That was, yeah. There's some shrink involved. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Frank. There Take is care, Frank Saravalli, uh, Daily Faceoff, and the DFO Rundown where they had uh, Jim Rutherford on. Uh, you can find it on your favorite podcatcher. Subscribe to that, just like you do uh, subscribing to this show, Canuck Central. Dan Richo and Satyar Shaw. Bet on hockey like never before with Play Now Sports, your B- your local BC sports book. A quick thought, Sat, on the other series starting tomorrow. Colorado Avalanche and the St. Louis Blues. Colorado embarrassed St. Louis last year in the postseason and the series number reflects a potential similar outcome for the St. Louis Blues, who are 4-1 to one right now to take on the Avs. They are the heaviest underdog of the second round, mm-hmm. and for good reason. I think it has more to do with the hype around Colorado than it does people disrespecting St. Louis. Yeah, I think that is what it is more than anything else. Um, I'm not picking against Colorado. But I wonder if Colorado and how they defend in their own zone becomes a bit of an issue against a team like the St. Louis Blues that can score, have depth, and can grind in the offensive zone. So as much as, yes, Colorado should win this, considering what the odds are for the Blues yeah. to win the series, I don't know. I don't, I don't mind that wager. It's uh, 
St. Louis is going to score some goals. Yes. Right? What, nine 20 goal scorers on that team? Yep. Uh, they were, you know, they, they've got the depth through their lineup that they down will the be middle able too. to score their goals. Yes. And down the middle, and they can score from the back end. You know, they've both of these teams have some issues defensively at times, and I think that will show up in the series. It's going to be a high score in one. Uh, Colorado right now, just as another note, uh, the heavy favorite to win the Stanley Cup as well. Right now, just 290 on the money line. Yeah. So, not exactly a ton of juice for uh, laying something down on Colorado this early in the process as well. So, take it, check it out at playnow.com. Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. We close out the show with some uh, Game 7 thoughts from the weekend next on Sports at 650. Live listeners coming after me on the uh, Dunbar Lumber text line. Woo. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. Who knew grocery store shopping could be so controversial? Uh, everybody does it. It's it's relatable for everybody. However, how you pay apparently is not relatable to everybody. So Frank Saravalli called me a shoplifter for using self-checkout. Yes, because you would put regular bananas instead of organic bananas, which were cheaper. There is, you know, there's a certain amount of uh, error that can potentially mm. happen. Human error? Yeah. Is it? Is it In the wh- same way, a cashier sometimes forgets to ring you through on something, or they ring through something twice. But, but considering they're the trained professionals, they make far fewer mistakes. <laughs> Headline news, former password game host steals organic bananas. <laughs> Life's got tough. Dan's song could be Gwen Stefani Bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Yeah. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. <laughs> it's always funny that uh, Anana was pineapple and not uh, bananas. Anana, yes. Yeah. And banana is, is just all you do is add a B. <laughs> really funny how that works. You know what banana is in French? Uh, banan, banan. Oh, yeah. nailed it. Banan. Grade uh, six French class coming through strong here. <laughs> uh, it's Stan Richo and Satyar Shaw. I don't know. Like, yeah, there's going to be uh, there's, there's there's a level of human error. It's like you're an umpire in the, in Major League Baseball. You know, there's a level of human error with calling balls and strikes. So now all of a sudden you're a stand for the umps. Yes. Yes. Dan is the Angel Hernandez of the self-checkout. Yeah. It's funny because he uh, he wants to use technology yes. in self-checkouts, but he wants to keep umpires in baseball? Uh, probably not. Probably. <laughs> uh, Minor Matt in Abbotsford, I got banned from Save-On for a year because I had a small handful of M&Ms from the bulk bag, and I was going to purchase, I think it was an overreaction. No? <laughs> you got banned for a year? Because... Uh, so he's because he forgot to pay for a small handful of M and M's in the bulk section. Yeah. Huh. You're taking stuff out of the bulk section and eating it. I mean, well, he was going to purchase. He says, "Yeah." So I mean, you forgot to purchase. Is that really stealing? Probably not. Bit of an overreaction. Um. All right. 
we'll see. Uh, maybe we'll get to some more texts on grocery shopping a little bit later on. But it all started because I uh, pulled off an incredible grocery run during the first intermission of Leafs and Lightning, which turned out to be a 2-1 win for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And while the Leafs may have earned more respect this year than they had in years past from their disappointing losses to Columbus and Montreal over the last two seasons, this year it's still the same result. And I find that's always the hardest thing to deal with, Sat, is no matter how hard we try, we keep getting the same end result. And it's impossible to see progress when the result at the end of the day is the same. But as I was sarcastic on Twitter earlier today, yeah, Leafs should absolutely blow up the most talented team they've had in the expansion era. Do it. I love to that see it. That seems like a great idea. At the end of the day, bet on talent and bet on your process. Is there things that the Leafs can change, should change? Absolutely. Yes. But should it come with a drastic move to their core? Like trading one of the more efficient contracts in the league, in my opinion, with William Nylander. Probably not. Seems suboptimal. Maybe you move a Kerfoot, Engvall. Maybe you have to move one of your younger defensemen because they're about to get a raise. Whatever it is, I do that before I explore moving any of the major core pieces. Yeah, and now, what I look at with Willie Nylander, though, because he has two years remaining on his contract. Yeah, there is a way to look at it and say we probably can't sign him in two years because mm-hmm. we already have Tavares and Marner and Matthews all signed up. That we look for a longer term fit with that, for instance. And I just wonder with Toronto specifically, and we'll get into this more tomorrow about you know teams that miss that are out of the postseason now, and how does that impact, if at all, the trade market for a certain Canucks players who might be on the market if they don't sign extensions, namely J.T. Miller and perhaps even to a lesser extent Bo Horvat, because the type of player Toronto might be looking to get is very much that Bull Horvat, J.T. Miller type that they want down the middle. So, I mean, is is that a team that all of a sudden turns the sights on something like that? And are they willing to move guys like Matthew Nyes? Are they willing to move those prospects, which they were reluctant to do? Does Vancouver have have interest in a Nylander type? I wonder if they do something like that. I know Elliot alluded to that, and that's not necessarily chasing something because you can logically look at it and say, you have two years of Nylander left, but you can't keep him long-term. We have other things we can do with this roster. Do we look to make a swap and find a player that better fits us? And they are in a year-to-year kind of mode, so maybe they would um, be open to acquiring a JT Miller or a Bo Horvat for one season. You know, it would cost a lot. I think the cost, they turned up their nose to it at the trade deadline, Sat, when uh, they made some calls to Vancouver about those specific players or specifically JT Miller. Like I see it, you know, there's definitely an option to do something like that. But the problem with the team is the most inefficient contract now is John Tavares. And that's not going anywhere. It's not. Yeah. It's only three years remaining, which I mean, cripe seven years already more than halfway through, but like he's not very good. You know, like defensively, he is a bit of a train wreck. The speed is a problem. You see it in the underlying numbers. You could see it with your eye test. 
like there's still some things that John Tavares does incredibly well. But when he has to go up against other elite competition, he's probably going to lose that matchup. And part of the issue here is, and this this can be somewhat instructive to Vancouver for how much they might be looking to pay JT and what you're paying him for. Right. You pay John Tavares to be a center. Mm. How many more years can you play center with that contract? We're already talking about him playing wing. What, yeah. three years into the deal? Four years into the deal? So now you're paying this guy, what, $11 million per season mm-hmm. for four or more years or whatever it is, yeah. and he's going to be a winger for you. Yeah. That's a problem. That's an issue. So what are you paying a guy to do really does matter. And if there's no way around the Tavares thing, there's two ways. You can push the Nylander thing another year and wait until his UFA to do something, or one year from UFA. And there is a world where they can trade for a guy like, hypothetically, JT Miller. You move the Kerfoot money out. You add the prospects and the and you know the young players and stuff like that. And you can do that. And you can still add to what you have. It would be essentially a one- or two-year run. When you look at the Tavares contract, how much is that going to hurt their ceiling in a few years? And for Vancouver, when you look at a signed JT, how many of these years, honestly, do you think he can play center? And are you paying him to be a center for you, or are you paying him to be a winger for you? Because if you're paying him $8 million and expecting to play down the middle, in two years he can play the wing only, because he has the same issues Tavares has to some extent or similarities, then we're going to look here and say, he's really good, but man, $8 million is a lot for a guy who's scoring you know, 70 points playing on the wing. That's why... Uh... It's hard to imagine giving him the Mika Zibanejad contract. Yeah, 99 points, but half a year playing center regularly. I know he takes face-offs and has been taking face-offs for a long time with the Canucks, but it's a different story from actually playing through the middle. And it's, it's a fascinating comparison you make there. Now, one thing we wanted to talk about today, of the first-round losers, like, how does that change... The trade market. We've talked yeah. so much about the trade market for the Vancouver Canucks and what it could look like. Obviously, the Leafs are going to end up making some changes. The Penguins are a team that have been linked with the Canucks already as well. How does some of these first-round losses potentially influence the trade market? I mean, I think it has a massive impact. And especially with a team like Boston, for instance. Boston, as much as they may be looking at a retool, they're not a team that's going to tear it down. They want to still build around Charlie McAvoy, Brad Marchand, David Pasternak. And is that a team, and they went out and got Lindholm as well, that if Bergeron retires and that money becomes available, what do they look to do? Yeah. How aggressive do they become? Is that a team that all of a sudden you know, calls back on JT, calls back on other teams? So I look at these teams that have lost out, even Pittsburgh. Like These are teams that are going to be active. Like We're looking at teams that have to make a lot of tough decisions and have to either move guys or try to add players. Like we're not talking about teams that are set and just going to be taking, you know, having a chill off season. Like all these teams have major work in front of them. So both Boston and Pittsburgh are fascinating. Boston has Pasternak coming up as a UFA after the end of next season. Yeah. Um, but Marchand and Taylor Hall both have three years remaining on their deals. You're kind of looking at maximizing a three-year window in Boston. How do we make the most of the next three seasons? And so they're going to be exploring players that do that for them. Pittsburgh is the same thing. They've got three years of Sidney Crosby remaining after this year. Wouldn't they be doing similar types of evaluations? How do we maximize the next three years knowing that Sidney Crosby can still play at an elite level like we saw in these playoffs? Yeah, and can you do that with Malkin and Latang? 
Yeah. And for those guys... Weighing down your salary cap, probably not. No, and if you're not giving them term, which is something that, you know, reportedly Chris Letang wants, you have to give them the AAV. Mm -hmm. But, like... What are you? What are you offering? I mean, Rob Rossi was on radio in Pittsburgh apparently, and kind of mentioned that the offers they were made were like five million per year over three years. It's like I mean, they're not going to sign that. No, you know. And if anything, you take that as a bit of a slap in the face to some degree. So, what are you willing to pay those guys to come back? And if you're not paying those guys that type of money, they're not a team that's going to just sit there and you know just eat the cap space and hope for the best. It's going to be to yeah. reallocate that in a in a different way to make your team better. But I mean, Latang's UFA. Um, Malkin's UFA, Brian Russ's UFA, and Evan Rodriguez's UFA. Yeah. These are four key contributors. A lot of uh a lot of cap space opening up in Pittsburgh if all of those guys walk. A lot of opportunity. They don't have a ton of assets to trade. You know, when we talk about the Leafs, that's one thing about them that makes them super interesting. You know, they do have some younger players that you could envision being a part of a deal. We've talked about Lilligren, right? He's yeah. going to need a new contract. Matthew Nyes has gotten a lot of hype. They've called him an untouchable prospect, or at least that's been reported at yeah. times. Do they still feel that way after this first-round loss? Those things can always change. They've got some other younger players that are sort of interesting as well. You look at a Nick Robertson type. There's options there, right? They still have their first-round pick available, too. So... For me, the Leafs are a fascinating connection. And one, especially if Lilligren, because I think that was one of the coaching decisions in the series that baffled me the most. Giordano and Lilligren played really well together in the regular season. And hey, Justin Hall wasn't terrible the entire time. He probably takes more flack than he deserves. But I still think Lilligren's a better player. I don't disagree. Um, the the issue, though, to some degree, is do you already have some guys that are puck movers, and do you need to have some guys that can win those battles along the boards? Yeah. And I don't want to sound like old hockey or whatever, but just watch the postseason, man. You need to have guys that can win those battles in your own zone, that oh, can yeah. clear the net. I mean, there, there are certain things you have to do in the postseason that, that you need. Now, do I think Justin Hall uh, struggled at times? Yes. Do I understand the reason why they played him? I do. Also, yes. Also, yes. The issue, though, is Labushkin, he's okay, not great. Hall is okay, not great. Giordano, pretty washed. You kind of notice that. Like, he's okay, but he's kind of washed. Yeah. TJ Brody's all right, but how different is he from Morgan? Like, he's, he's, he's the budget version of Morgan Riley. Well, problem for the Leafs, they couldn't play Hall and Muzzin together anymore because no. they were a disaster. Yeah. And Muzzin... Muzzin's the big issue. Muzzin is becoming an anchor. Yes. So they had to come off their top pair of Riley and Brody to make Muzzin, to hide Muzzin a little bit. I mean, they traded for Muzzin and they signed Muzzin. Yep. You know, and they give up something big to get him. And, you know, there's all this talk around their big guys. And, yeah, you know, can you win with paying Marner, Matthews, and, and Tavares? Sure. But the other things holding them down are the other things, right? Like yeah. the... The Muzzin one, and the other guys you kind of added in. Like Labushkin, you gave up second-round picks. Giordano, second-round You gave up decent assets to get these guys. Yeah. And what are they? Some, like, for all of the praise Kyle Dubas gets at times, uh, you know, trading Richie to get Labushkin and you know, reallocating money that way and doing some other things, finding uh, Michael Bunting. The Muzzin contract 
the Peter Morazic contract. I don't know what they were thinking with that deal. Um, those are things. Yeah, you can win with the studs and duds type of mantra set, you know, yeah. as they have paying a lot of guys a big percentage of the cap, paying a few guys a big percentage of the cap. Just that you have to be super efficient everywhere else on your. You roster. can't miss elsewhere, yeah. and you know, I, I, and they have it now. Yeah, listen, they only have a couple of misses, but you feel those misses so much more. Well, when those misses include trading a first round pick and prospects and eating up cap space, yeah, it's significant. I mean, they gave up for TJ for um, Mark Giordano. What they gave up two second round picks in that mm-hmm. trade? Yeah. No, Colin Blackwell. Uh, yeah, it was two two second round picks and a third. They got Colin Blackwell as well. They gave up a second round for Labushkin. Mm-hmm. So that's three second round picks and a third, plus a first for Muzzin. So those three defensemen they've acquired the last couple of years, they've given up over combined over six million in cap space, a first round pick, three seconds and a third. You can't miss with the, that much asset. Th- those many assets going out the window when you're paying those guys that type of money. That's to me. Where, where they've had their issues, like you mentioned. Uh, text coming in from our live listeners. Uh, why are you talking about the Leafs so much? They could be a potential trade partner for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, sport. we're talking about teams and what they have to do and what lessons you learn from teams that commit a lot of money to their cap and pay guys into their 30s. And we talked about the JT Miller-Tavares thing, for instance. If you're paying Tavares $11 million and he can't play center, that's a problem. Yeah. So whatever you're paying JT has to be for what do you think he's going to play for you. Can he play center for six years? Because if he can't, that's a problem. And also just about, is that a team that's going to come knocking on JT? The other first-round loser that's super interesting, the Minnesota Wild, obviously with the, the cap commitments and penalties to both Zach Parise and Ryan Suter, starting to get more expensive over the next couple of years and really expensive in the next two to three years. That's a team that is walking on a tightrope right now. Kevin Fiala is a restricted free agent that they probably won't be able to sign. Matthew Dumba is a year away from unrestricted free agency. I think it's one of the boldest moves we've seen in NHL during the salary cap era, buying out both Suter and Parise. Mm. But I don't know how they navigate this, Sat. Um, It's really testing Dred Brackett and how good that drafting process is going. They have a lot of good young players already coming through for Minnesota, but it's such a pressure point for them. Well, that's a team that has called on JT in the past, and this is coming. This comes back to JT to some degree. They need centers. Yeah. Do they view JT as a center? We can be, he played it well this year, but if they do, that's the contract I could fit in. Is that a team that pursues that? They have yeah. pieces. They have a lot of stuff, but what are they willing to move to get that? Well, Ryan Hartman looked great during the regular season as your top-line center, but how did it work out in the postseason? Not as great. Frederick Goudreau, not as great in the postseason as uh, it worked out during the regular season. So, you know, they're kind of running with one guy who you really love in Joel Erickson Eck through the middle of the ice, but is that enough? And even he is not really a top-end, number-one center as most teams need to win a Stanley Cup. Maybe Marco Rossi is that guy, Marco Rossi, but... Maybe a year or two away. Still a while away. Yeah, and they have to make decisions on a guy like Kevin Fiala. So all around, you know, this brings us going through Pittsburgh, going through Toronto, going through Boston, going through Minnesota. All these teams, massive, massive, massive decisions coming up this offseason that could 
have massive ripples in the trade market and it, have, it could have a big impact on your Vancouver Canucks. It's going to be a lot of movement this offseason. Yeah. It feels like it. Well, it has to. It's, a, it's inevitable. Well, it is because of so many UFAs, pending contracts, cap situations. Whether you want it or not, there will be movement. Uh, coming up tomorrow, we'll start to preview the Battle of Alberta. We'll be back uh, normal time slot 4 to 7, actually 4 to 6.30 before we'll send you off to Colorado and St. Louis tomorrow night. Coming up now on Sportsnet 650, Blue Jays and Seattle Mariners from Toronto. You uh, wonder if the Blue Jays can get it back on track. Mariners have been going pretty well. Had the fun win last night in a uh, kind of a shootout kind of a game. At least they didn't get no hit and uh, lose the game still. Only the The Cincinnati Reds can pull that off. Take all the moral victories you can get at this point. For producers, Chris Faber and Josh Elliott-Wolf, my co-host Satyar Shah, I'm Dan Riccio. This has been Canuck Central on Sports at 650.